ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast that Camilla Parker Bowles doesn't want you to hear. Accurate. If I had to guess, it's monkeys and playbills, <laughs> y'all. I might say the entire royal family, but here we are. This show does not have many nice things to say about any of them. Jeez. But we have a lot of nice things to say about someone else that is joining us this week. Absolutely, we do. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Raffi Rosenberg. Yay! I like that I just cheered for myself. Absolutely. 2022, year of self-love. Yes. (laughs) Hang tight for a second, because before we introduce you, we should probably say what this podcast is, because it's Monkeys and Playbills, y'all. The podcast where we talk about Broadway shows that had runs of 100 performances or fewer on Broadway. And what the heck happened? That's Jillian Willems. That's Paul DeGurse. And we have a special guest now doing things in the right order, (laughs) Raffi Rosenberg. (laughs) Live in the year of self-love. I just made that up, but I feel good about it. No, it's good. It's a good way to enter into this year. Rafi is a fantastic artist and creator, choreographer, performer, director, producer, who Jill and Daph and I have all had many opportunities to work with and create with. Um, Rafi, you're in New York these days, right? I am in New York City. Fantastic. Studying at NYU, is that correct? Columbia. Um, and also, when you're not studying at Columbia, you're going to see Diana on Broadway every chance <laughs> am, you got. I'm going to see Diana on Broadway. Um, I saw it two times, and then I got COVID immediately after time two, and then it closed. Oh, no. So oh I only saw Diana two times. Oh, my gosh. But you would have seen it more? I would have seen it more the last week, and I watched the live capture, like, on COVID, like the, it was the first thing I did when I was in the throes of COVID. I'm sick, I'm miserable, I'm throwing on Diana. That's exactly what happened. And then I was also like intermittently doing Epsom salt treatments to the soundtrack of Diana. Good, Naturally. yes. Yeah, so Diana does have healing powders. Um, just in case you're wondering, get vaccinated, listen to Diana, <laughs> you will get better. In whatever format you are able to consume it. I believe that's the most recent CDC um, guideline. Absolutely is, um, it is. Please make sure you listen to uh, Diana the Musical. Yeah. The Center for Diana Control uh, highly recommends this. Yeah. The Center for Diana Control. <laughs> so in case anyone hasn't picked up on it yet, we're talking about Diana the Musical. The newest show we have ever tackled on Monkeys and Playbills um, during this brief window Uh, In the fall, when Broadway was back open, a little show about the life of Princess Diana called Diana the Musical had a chance to open and shine so brightly in its brief time on the Great White Way. So much so that it supernovaed and exploded. (laughs) It shone so bright. Absolutely. Lucky for us, they also filmed it, did a pro-shot film of it on Netflix. So it allows those of us who aren't in New York to also experience the healing powers of Diana. So... Rafi has done something really amazing for us, and I'm so excited. Rafi, you have notated the differences between the Netflix version that we saw, Paul, and the live Broadway production that you saw twice, Raf. To give a little overarching context on mm-hmm. why Diana was so unique and what was so different about this is Diana played a couple, a few performances before the shutdown, yeah. which I did have tickets to, but then they had to call in an understudy who wasn't ready. They got rescheduled for like March 13th. So I Don't never worry. saw it. Oh, which was like literally the day. Literally the day of the shutdown yeah. or the day mm-hmm. after the shutdown. 
So yeah. I was supposed to see it. They made a bunch of changes via Zoom over the summer. Wow. They said, hey, let's tape this on Netflix. Yeah. They did a whole pandemic, like peak COVID, no one, no vaccine yet taping yeah. of it. But the show hadn't opened yet, so the show wasn't technically locked. Yeah. Right. So they went back into previews. They made a couple adjustments. They didn't feel beholden to the live capture. And then there was the stage version. They are quite similar, but they are not identical. Oh, I can't wait to hear how they're different and maybe what actually lasted. So first things first, do we want to give just some general context about the show, where it ran, how long it ran? Why don't you hit us with some of that there, Jill? You got it. Diana, the musical, the biopic, the journey, the memoir, the you name it. Okay, here we go. Previews <laughs> began at the Longacre Theater on March 2nd, 2020. Yes. Okay, then we have major hiatus, as Rafi just said. Totally. Then we open, question mark, on November 17th, 2021, or was this the beginning of second previews? Perhaps beginning of second previews? It was the beginning of previews. Because it opened in December. Perfect. And then it, so the only dates I have were that it opened again on November 17th. But yes, I think timeline wise, it would make sense that that would be about a month or even just two weeks probably of previews. Yeah. 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 And then uh, it closed on December 19th, very recently, 2021, after 25 previews and 34 performances and one Netflix special. Absolutely. So it's worth saying, first off, off the top, because we're going to talk about a lot of things that we love about Diana as a musical. We might also talk about some things that we thought weren't quite as effective. Um, so what's worth saying first and foremost is that we have nothing but admiration and love and enthusiastic support for this show, for all the artists who were involved with this show. Creating live performances at this time is an incredibly brave thing to do. And it is obvious more than anything else when you look into this show, watch the Netflix capture, I'm sure when you saw it live as well, what comes through most of all is the amount of love that everyone has for the show and for being on stage. It's worth saying here and we'll try to punch it again and again, but just as we also talk about some stuff that's not working about this show, let it be known that it comes with nothing but the most affection and love in the world. Absolutely. All right. Do you want to try to summarize the plot with me, Rafi? I would love to try and summarize the plot with you. <laughs> okay. So we're going to put a five-minute timer on it. You've seen this show Ugh, 24 four times. times. <laughs> I've seen the show four times. I've seen this show once. So let's... Let's tag team. Let's tag team. Absolutely. Um, Producer Def, are you ready with the timer? I am indeed. Okay. Five minutes on the clock. Travel safe. Go. Okay. We open with a blank stage, but it's quickly filled with... Is Diana the first thing we see? So this is fun fact. Yes, in, we'll do live capture. Yes, Diana is the first yeah. thing you see. Great, in the live capture at least. And then we quickly get... Then Camilla comes on stage. That's right, we see Camilla really soon. Camilla comes on stage and Diana's at a party and she's like, I don't want to be at the party. And Camilla's like, Charles thinks you're cute. And Diana's like, wow, I love Charles. Yeah, and everyone in the audience is like, oh, this is... <laughs> oh, but we know what happens here. <laughs> And she's like, I'm Camilla. And then everyone goes, what? Yes. Yeah, totally, totally. So then Camilla or um, Diana and Andrew meet and they hit it off. They're very charmed with each other. Did you say Andrew? Not Andrew. <laughs> Not Wrong Andrew. royal. Oh, no. Oh, no. We don't <laughs> like that guy. Bad. Not mentioned in this show mm -hmm. for good reason. Yes. Yes. Bingo. Charles. Charles. Charlie, if mm -hmm. you will. Yes. Diana and uh, good old Prince Chuck meet. <laughs> And, <laughs> and they quickly, they quickly fall in love. Yes. This whole plot goes, it moves very quickly through like 
all the hits all the major beats of Diana's Diana's life in the royal family. Correct. It it goes it goes Diana Camilla, Charles being told by his mom, like, you gotta get married. Yep. Then Charles is like, to Camilla, maybe I'll marry Diana. She's young and a virgin. And Diana's like, right. Charles is cute. I like him. And then they get and she's like, Charles, do you love me? And he's like, I don't know, maybe. And then they get <laughs> yeah. married. It's a what is um What does love mean anyway? Yes, I, I I love you, but what does love mean anyways? Which is what you wanna hear when you're getting engaged. It's a real quote. It's a real it's a quote. Real yeah. quote. Ugh. From a televised interview. Come on, Charles. <laughs> Any and then they get married. Yeah, and we follow kind of Diana's life um, as she kind of struggles against being in the royal family. She gets paparazzi'd a lot by a lot of paparazzi who wear a lot of trench coats. A lot of trench coatography, if you will. Oh, there's a ton of oh, trench God. coatography. It's a lot. Every time there's a lot of it. They're big fans of the flasher movement, if you will. Yeah, like exactly. The yes. of the trench coat. Well, I thought I, I I thought that that was the implication was that all of these um, are flashing. Well, because the cameras flash and yeah, they also, and they fla also they flash. Yeah. It's a metaphor, yeah, if you it will. It is a metaphor. <laughs> and then Diana, Diana's yeah. like, no, this is horrible. I hate the family. And also, Charles Charles told me he wasn't with Camilla anymore, but he's very much still with Camilla. And she hears him yeah. on the phone after she very quickly has both. William and Harry. Yep, absolutely. In one song, she has both kids. Oh yeah, just pops them out. It's really amazing. It's really quite, yeah. quite a feat. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew that's how that worked? And then she's like holding Harry and they're happy for 30 seconds. And yeah. then she hears Charles on the phone and Charles goes talking to Camilla. And then Diana gets angry and resigns. And then she has this big moment where she's like, just kidding. I'm powerful and I am my own woman. And fuck you, Charles, and fuck, fuck you, the royal Charles. family. Yes. And she's like, yeah. I am a badass, badass B-word. And she just, <laughs> like, starts yeah. fucking shit up. Absolutely and, like, she does. Helping people with HIV and, like, visiting patients. Yeah. And she's like, I am a powerful woman. And then she dies. And then she dies, and that's the end. Throughout all of this, Prince Charles becomes, like, a bigger and bigger dick. He's, like, yes. kind of a dick he in the beginning. Worse. And get, just gets worse and worse until towards the end, everyone in the royal family is, like, literally a monster. Well, it's... The queen is very sympathetic in this musical. Yep, that's true. That's true. The queen yeah, she's, is a very sympathetic, very complicated and nuanced character. Charles is just kind of a dick. And then, like, yeah. wow, this guy sucks. Mm -hmm. They also they also do touch on, at least in the capture, on um, Diana's affair. Yes, mm -hmm. they do. Acknowledging, and I appreciate that they do, that um, Diana had an affair with uh, James Hewitt. He's shirtless a lot, which everyone appreciates. Absolutely. <laughs> the outfits are a big thing in this as well. Oh, it's worth yeah. noting there. They get, they get all of, like, Diana's incredible outfits. And then, spoiler alert, at the end, like we said, she yes. dies. The end. The Camera end. flash. Would you like to hear the Wikipedia synopsis of this musical? Absolutely. It's perfect to me. Here it is. Based on the life of Diana, Princess of Wales. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> and it's perfect. I was, I was Based on the life of Diana, Princess of Wales, comma. No. <laughs> Period. And the best part about that to me is that this musical covers, I think it's actually half of Diana's life, basically. Maybe just a little less than half. She was 19 Jeez, when they got married. And 27 when she died. Whoa. That's so young. Oh my God. She was God. only 27 when she died? She was 27 when she died. Daphne can correct me if that's incorrect, but I'm like 99% sure she was 27. She was actually 36 when she died. 
36 when she died. Yeah, Great. there we go. All right, well, Born 1961, kidding. died 1997. Coincidentally, the same year my sister was born. Is my sister Diana reincarnate? We just don't know. And Probably. on our next podcast, Reincarnation <sighs> Nation <laughs> Streets. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't leave enough time for anything to have happened. If I think about it logically, William was like 16 when she died. There's no way that's possible. Yeah, absolutely. We see just like under half of Diana's life unfold in a two-hour musical. And the synopsis literally just says based on the life. But I think that actually minimizes the amount of ground that we're about to cover. Absolutely. So I can't wait to get into this. Maybe we should talk a little bit about how this show came to be. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. So this is a La Jolla Playhouse special. That's right. I did know this because it's Christopher Ashley. He also directed Leap of Faith and Escape to Margaritaville. But it's worth noting the reason we've talked about him before is not because he directs flops or that he directs um, things that are not especially inspiring. We talk about him a lot because he is the champion of developing new musicals. He runs the La Jolla Playhouse and does fantastic work. Some of those shows are going to be enormous successes, like Come From Away. Some of them aren't going to do as well, like Leap of Faith or Escape to Margaritaville. But one way or another, it's coming from a place of love for the genre of musical theater and hoping to advance it at a very big commercial level, which is very admirable. This is a Christopher Ashley Stan podcast now. Just kidding. Yes, this has been Just Ashley. Kidding. This has been Ashley Cast. Every time. Our podcast no, literally every time. where every week we discuss Christopher Ashley and how so, great he is. Uh, the only thing I know <laughs> about it is it was developed at La Jolla with in association with Chris Ashley and directly in the development process. That's where it had its first previews. It did quite well in Loja. Mm-hmm. I think it was mostly sold out. That's that right. Sense. It extended twice. I mean, that's successful. saying something. And so then based on both that and um, La Jolla and Christopher Ashley's relationship with Broadway, made a lot of sense for it to move over to Broadway. Mm-hmm. And then it showed a whole lot of resilience in kind of riding out the pandemic. And I am very upset I didn't see it previews in 2020 mm. and then the live capture and then this version i don't have the full picture sure. that i should diana because apparently it's quite different well let's let's get into it at the very least let's start talking about this show and um, as we go through section by section you can also feel free to mention raffi when what's different and let's start with kind of an overreaching look at the the book and the uh, kind of the story and structure of this piece well, let's get into it here we go <laughs> I love this show so much. Like genuinely, this show brings me so much joy and I would have seen it once a month. Can I ask why? It's a musical that doesn't ask anything from you, but it gives you so much. Nice. I like that a lot. So you sit there in the audience and you're going to have a good time. You're going to leave that theater feeling better than you left before. And it's also incredibly empowering. Yeah. There's Mm. a lot of Diana stories. I, Mm. I watch a lot of royal fictionalized royal stories yeah so there's spencer there's the crown that have diana as sort of a meek subservient very unsure very insecure woman which i believe she was considering i've never met a person that isn't Mm -hmm. in some ways insecure or subservient yeah Yeah. but the what the musical really takes and champions and gina duvall said this in an interview is that it needs to be okay for us to celebrate her life with joy and tell a happy story about her. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to just be about how she died this tragic death after being 
held hostage by the royal family. There can be a narrative where she enjoyed her life and found her power and found her way in the world. And that's what I really love about this show so much. It's one of those things where if you're having a bad day, you can just put on Diana and your day is going to get better. Oh, I love that. Wow. Makes total sense too. Like the because the thesis statement of the show, Diana's big old song is underestimated. Yes. Right? That's the whole, the theme of the song is there's so much great you can do when you're underestimated. And there's also so much about how resilient she is. She got like, not to quote Chumbawamba, if you will, but she does get knocked down and she does get back up again. Well, she also does take a whiskey drink and a lager and a, drink. And and a, a cider drink. drink. And a lager drink. Oh, so many drinks. Okay, she, this is great. But she, like, it shows you this story and especially as like a, you know, late 20s woman of like, you can feel like you have nothing left to be, like, there's a line where she has like a, a pretty, pretty girl with nothing left to lose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can still rise up from that. And I think there's something great about that message. Hell yeah. Oh, that's a fantastic vibe to, um, to go into this with, Raffi. Absolutely. No, I'm really excited that that was and continues to be your takeaway from the show because, and to hear you talk about it, because I, on first watch, had a really different feeling about about it. And then I watched it again in preparation for this recording session and and actually found myself uh, enjoying it a lot more the second pass through. Oh, interesting. And, and I don't know why. I don't know if I'm just in a different headspace. Like, yeah. I didn't have any wine today, so I'm seeing it, like, you know, fresh. <laughs> well, so I, I felt a little wishy-washy about the live capture. I, I liked it, but I, I wasn't sure. And then mm. we went to see it on my friend's birthday, and we were all wearing tiaras. And everyone in that theater is just collectively having a good time. Mm. and is excited to be there and having fun. Uh, And this was the second time I saw it, and I have this note down, when we'll get to the specifics of it, but Prince Charles sings like his his asshole 11 o'clock number, if you will, called Diana, and he's just screaming at her and like being the worst. And there was someone in the audience who at the end of his song screamed asshole. Yeah. (laughs) Like the audience feels like they're part of it. It's the only time I've ever seen a Broadway show get heckled. Hell yeah. I love that. In my life. But I was like, okay, you know what? True. Oh, that's so good. (laughs) And like ovations all the time, like screaming. Everyone's just, just loving it. Because it moves so quickly on stage. Right. Well, this is this is what I was gonna. Well, and this is what I was gonna bring up here. Let's do the let's do the credits for the book, the music, and the lyrics, because I think it's actually worth discussing them all together. And I'll say why in a second. Yes. Okay. Here we go. Book by Joe Di Pietro, who you know from All Shook Up, and yep. from Memphis, yep. and from Nice Work If You Can Get It. Music by David Bryan from Memphis and the keyboardist from Bon Jovi. From, yep, from Bon exactly. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that, but I love that. I know. Yep, he, he's an original member of Bon Jovi and a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame from that. Yep. Brilliant. So that means lyrics are by the two of them, David Bryan and Joe DiPietro. And then we have music orchestrated by John Clancy. Welcome back from Tuck Everlasting. Very um, good. And did a bit of uh, arranging, I think, for the prom. 
Yep, that would make sense. And then we also have music arranged by Ian Eisendrath, who did some arranging for A Christmas Story and Come From Away. He's also the, he was the original conductor for Come From Away. He's an awesome conductor. He's a, I got a big old talent crush on that guy. He's one of the best conductors working today. Really cool. cool. Yeah. So those are our people. Yeah. Okay, let's, maybe we should talk about, wait, you said you wanted to talk about them all together. Paul, why is that? Well, A, because the, Book, music, and lyrics are all from the same team, from these two people. And there's barely any book. There's so much music in this. Yes. And like in between each song, they'll say like five words. But there is virtually no book and a lot of music and lyrics. So most of the story is told through music with small book scenes in between. So I think it's worth maybe um, just tackling them all as one big thing. I could be convinced. I agree. Right? <laughs> At least, the, at least the book and the lyrics. Then we can talk about the music in a second. Are we going to talk about the songs that should have been scenes, though? I think we absolutely <laughs> should. I think we should. Because I will. I think we should. Yeah. Ugh. So that's, that's my take. If we're starting somewhere, I would start with maybe this didn't need as much music as it's got. And maybe a little bit of love on, um, on the book side might have made some stuff a little bit clearer and a little bit more nuanced. I like a lot of the stuff that's happening, but I feel like there's maybe some points where we don't quite explore the the nuance of the co- a complicated situation, especially when we're mm. moving through so many different situations, different times of points in uh, this woman's life, in Diana's life. There were moments for sure where I find myself found myself wishing, oh, it would have been nice if we just stopped for a book scene here rather than champing through another song. I felt mm. that most and potentially... I think it's because I have so much fun during the songs. But yeah, the, totally. the one that I felt that most with is this is how my people or this is how your people dance. Like the cellist song. <laughs> oh my God. I was just like, this could have been a five minute scene. As much yeah. fun as everyone's having here. And this is honestly, <laughs> this is a broader point I have about a lot of shows. Yeah. Which is, yes. yes. Please stop giving your leads choreography. If it's not sure, if it's right. not in their wheelhouse, and I'm not saying it's not because everyone in the show does a great job, but if you don't have like an Ariana DeBose or a Sutton Foster like dancer, dancer, mm-hmm. dancers, mm-hmm. your ensemble are unbelievably talented, and that and I think we need Absolutely. to give like one of many shoutouts to the ensemble in this show oh, because yeah. I have never Absolutely. seen an ensemble work harder. Every single time they leave the stage, they're t- taking off and putting on a new costume. They are in every yeah. scene. They all have featured parts and like their own characters they have to play. They all have yeah. singing yeah. solos and they dance their faces off. This in like from top yeah. to bottom, two and a half hours Absolutely. of costume changes and dancing, wig changes. They are unbelievable. But either give mm-hmm. them a moment to shine or let them go off stage for one, one number. Just yeah. let them be off stage for one number. Nobody needs to dance. Yes. Give give yeah. them a five minute break because that yeah. poor yeah. ensemble does not mm-hmm. sit down or drink water. I believe this is speculation <laughs> for two and a half hours because they are on stage Absolutely. the whole time. So just uh, that's my one thing is they could have taken that scene as a breath. Also, we're talking differences. They add the ensemble into the top of the show in the live show. So they come on in their trench coats and they go, was there ever a greater tabloid tale? And then they go off and then she comes on for underestimated. Oh. That's very interesting. Because one, one of the big notes I have about the structure of this show is that it's a bit of a slow start. Yeah, so they punch on in like, a, in like, I believe it's a row or two rows 
in their trench coat costume and they go, was there ever a greater tabloid tale that phrase? And then they go off and she walks yeah. Which kind of mirrors, mirrors the end a little bit more as well. Mm-hmm. The end yeah. is also different in the stage show. Cool. Well, so how's the end different? Let's talk structure. So they don't... They... Well, let's, here, let, let's describe what the, the, the end in the film. Shoot, how does it go now? So, sorry, I think guys. she's like standing <laughs> yeah. in the center. She stands in the center. Yeah, the yes, 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 yes. ensemble around, explains all the things that she's done after yep. leaving. So she leaves the royal family. She sings, starts singing a song called If. Everyone is standing around. The ensemble talks about how she auctioned her clothes to raise millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Talks about her incredibly brave charity work with yep. landmines, with yes. uh, people suffering from HIV and AIDS, because this is yep. still 1996. Mm-hmm. Um, still the height of that, uh, the pandemic and the Absolutely. plague years. And then it, they start as if they're newscasters saying, you know, we've heard this news. And she goes, what's going on? And then you see her walk right. off stage. Mm-hmm. And in and there's a bunch of like bunch of flashing bunch of lights, flashing, like yes. um, yeah. like friggin' camera flashes. Yeah, yeah, and and trench coat flashes. Like everyone is flashing. Everyone's flashing. Yeah. <laughs> and then in the live capture version, what happens is the ensemble rushes to where she exits the stage. There's a pause, and then Charles, Camilla, and the Queen come on stage and sing. I don't remember who sings what, but they sing a phrase that says, "The people who are going to change the world are not the ones you think are going to change the world." Yep. And then they all rush the front of the stage and it goes to blackout. Yeah. And it's a very it's a very short bit. It's like it's 20 seconds short. off the mm-hmm. yeah. end. So what happens yeah. in the stage show is Diana walks back a little more slowly. They rush yeah. her. The ensemble only has a phrase, rushes the stage, and then blackout. So cool. Charles, Camilla, and the Queen don't come back, and that phrase is not in there. I prefer oh, that's that. So interesting. It is it feels like it ties the button a little bit better because she's left yep. the royal family. That's the yes. whole point. Exactly. Yep. And they don't come back. And I don't know why Charles is the one saying that when he's treated her like garbage for two and a half hours. And, yep. the, and you know, Roe is such a good actor that you hate him at the end. <laughs> Genuinely yeah, hate him. Never want yes. to see this person again on stage, which is a testament to how good he is at his job. True. Absolutely. And you don't want to see him talking about her again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I agree. And also in terms of the way the royal family actually did respond to her death was like to go silent. So it's interesting that they would have chosen to include them in the finale when in reality mm-hmm. it was the opposite. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a better ending. I We're jumping around a little bit. But when they introduced James Hewitt, I actually thought that was a point where I really liked the combo of book, music, and lyrics, where they have yes. Barbara Cartland talking yes. and like saying, I made up all of this dialogue, but isn't this great? I thought it was a really fun, funny, sweet moment. And I actually I would, hated I, it. <laughs> did you actually? Really? I, I thought it was great. I'm with, I I'm with Raffi. I, I really don't know what, yeah. like the whole Barbara <laughs> Cartland theme was a little that. strange. But I, I thought, like, at the beginning, I was like, okay, this is a little weird that she's a character in the show for yeah. some reason. Yeah. But then I felt they earned it with that moment. Okay. Well, let's, first of all, I'm let me confess. Why. As we as we said that, I also, I've been hiding it, but I really liked This Is How Your People Dance. So we'll talk about that as well. <laughs> um, I just, um, I can't get over the let's get Funkadelic line. Oh, yeah. Just, that I, is and unreal. I, can, I cannot get over it. That's my, if I have one sticking point in this whole show. It's a lot. It's that. It's that. <laughs> All right. Jill, what don't you like about, about that book scene? And then I'll talk about what I like about This Is How People Dance. Okay. My problem with this, this what's her name? Barbara Cartland? Yes. Okay. 
My problem with including that character is that it makes makes Diana seem like it's like they're condescending her by being like as if you would believe that this would be how life would be. Like it just felt so it, I just sure. It just framed Diana in such an immature way that was actually condescending and not like, oh, she just doesn't know how the world works. Like it just struck me as like Wow, what a silly person, you know, to believe that that would be how the world is. And I think that, yeah, and I don't know if it maybe gets better in Act 2 when we include the James Hewitt stuff. And so it helps maybe tie back into that original introduction of Barbara Cartland. But I just, uh, it all just felt a little yucky to me in terms of like, oh, Diana, you're so silly as being the underlying thing going through this whole play. That's so interesting because that's, at least the way I received it, um, is it was a little different. I didn't receive it as a commentary on Diana. I received it as like, and maybe it doesn't play as well because it's there's no audience in that capture. Maybe. But I received yeah. it as like to the audience. We're not sure if this really happened. This is pretty salacious. Like let's let's calm down now. We're doing this for your benefit, not because we're depicting exactly how it happened here. Oh, which is fine, but it's the yeah. first initial introduction of that character of Barbara Cartland that sets it up in such a way that I feel like she's, Diana's being condescended initially. And so when yeah. Barbara comes back to be like, oh, look at this like silly dialogue I made up, I'm I'm not buying it because we did something sure. else with that character earlier. I think that's my own thing yeah. <laughs> to get over. No, I, I think it's a valid point. <laughs> that brings up something interesting which I haven't thought about until literally right now, which is it's, yeah, yeah. the show starts with Diana as 19 and ends with Diana at 36. Mm-hmm. And with yep. the exception of at the beginning when Charles, when they have that, when Charles is proposing and he says, now that you're only and doesn't know her age, which is a good little jab <laughs> yeah, in there. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. a good little like yeah, point. Is. They only talk about her being 19. They never talk about her growing older, which obviously she does. Mm-hmm. But I mm-hmm. think they do a good job of like, starting so far and so young and then just changing her behavior so you believe she's getting older without anything else happening like she she matures in front of you so i but i feel like they needed her to start really naive and really young sure to give her a lot of room to grow because that is i think that's that is the really interesting thing about diana as a person is that she started as this she's a child like trophy kind of thing. It was kind of, it's kind of bullshit when you actually think about it. Oh yeah. And the fact that she grew to be such a leader and such a, a powerhouse. Um, someone doing so much good in the world is pretty cool. And I think the musical really nails that in, especially when it goes from like, you do your duty for your country and your honor. I think happiness is a luxury comes back twice. It's first Charles and Camilla. And then it's James Hewitt to Diana in act two, mm-hmm. when he has to leave her to go yeah. be in Germany. And I think there are moments like that within the score where she starts to find her voice and everyone starts and she starts to understand what that means that shows her growing up a little bit and finding her own voice and her own power. Because she before that, I mean, she sings underestimated at the top, but I will before her wedding is basically just her saying, like, I'll do whatever Charles wants me to do so that he likes me and is proud of me. So musically speaking, though. Yep. What did y'all think of even the tunes? What do we think of those tunes? Just before we move on to that, I just want to highlight a couple of lyrics. I want to (laughs) highlight Joe DiPietro wrote a lot of stuff, and a lot of them are nice, but some of these lyrics are wild, y'all. 
Like let's get funkadelic. Like let's get funkadelic. I can't. Like a whole chorus about a dinner party or a um, a cocktail party where um, Camilla and Diana kind of face but off and work it. out their differences. I love it. It's a thriller in Manila with Diana and Camilla. I love it so much. Tonys, Tonys, twelve Tonys. Oh, yeah, Tony's. that's what I get from marrying a Scorpio. That's what I get. But it lands. <laughs> but it lands, Daphne. I'm not saying these are bad things, but man, they're wild. Wild. That's a, <laughs> a wild Maybe that's the difference is that like just listening to them on the capture, it's like, what? That got, yeah. that's what you get from marrying a Scorpio. Both times I saw it, got a show-stopping ovation. Oh my God. Yeah, I believe and it. And cheers <sighs> and like, like it wasn't a standing ovation, but it t- it was a minute. Okay, here's my favorite lyric. Okay. My favorite lyric is... Harry, my ginger-haired son, you'll always be second to none. <laughs> I clocked that one as well. That's a hell of a lyric. That's a. <laughs> oh my god. Um, I think so. With with that addressed, you asked about the tunes in the show, I the music did. itself. I think there's a lot of nice music here. So good. Underestimated is a real oh, nice song. Love it. I like the way a lot of the music is uh is working and is functioning. I will say, if I'm, if we're examining this critically, which is important to do, in general, David Bryan, sometimes it's a little bit washy, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? As far as music goes, it's never quite, it's not specific enough to be like really exciting. Mm -hmm. I like, I like the music in Memphis, but I'm never like excited, excited about a David Bryan score. Yeah. I'd compare it to, since we just spent, we just spent a couple of weeks, Raffi, looking at um, Charles Strauss, who wrote Annie, and then we looked at one of his musicals, Nick and Nora, which is just terrible. <laughs> but what you come away with is that um, Charles Strauss is a a strong composer. No matter what, he just, he farts good songs. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> And I would, I would maybe hypothesize that David Bryan is kind of a contemporary version of that. Mm. You're never going to be like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta do an evening of David Bryan music. Right. But, you know, it's, it's working. It's working hard. It does what it wants to do. And I think what his goal was, which is those songs go into your head one time and they don't leave you. And you can. Correct. They're really easy. And this is something I really love about musical theater. Like this is musical theater in, if you're a person who says, I hate musicals when you've never seen one, this is what you're talking about. If you're a person who says, I love musicals, this is also what you're talking about. It is a musical with a capital M. And those songs enter your head. You can grasp the melody really quickly. And Jill and Paul both know this. I am not a musical person. Mm. I am not musically inclined. But I I can understand what they're trying to talk about. I can recognize the thematic patterns because it requires... No advanced knowledge of music, which I definitely do not have. <laughs> so I, I appreciate its accessibility. Yeah. Yes. It, absolutely. It's, I think that's a fantastic thing. I'd compare the music and the compositions to Andrew Lloyd Webber in that Correct. case as well. Mm-hmm. And I say that, in a, I say that for, like, in a very positive way. Andrew Lloyd Webber at his, at his best is at his best when he's not overthinking things. Yes. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and then when he gets... Like two in his head, which he has been for the last like yeah, three years. Yeah, I was gonna years. say it's been You're a like, been a this while. Is, <laughs> this is nothing. So I guess we can all agree that this music is catchy AF. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a quintessential like late '90s musical. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is. That's a great take. It really yeah, is. Absolutely. 
So Rafi, here at Monkeys and Playbills, here at the Monkeys and Playbills Institute, we've developed a very scientific system where after we've debated back and forth and discussed a, um, a section, we, uh, we rate it. We rate it on a scientific scale. We rate it out of 10 playbills, how many monkeys would you give it? And we're also encouraged to give a rating and then give an understudy slip to um, push <laughs> things up if you want to make a special mention of something. Interesting. Okay. So my question, Jill will go first and Jill will show you. Um, <laughs> Jill, out of 10 playbills... Mm -hmm. How many monkeys would you give the book and the lyrics? Wait, I have to do book and lyrics together and then music separately? Or would you like to do all three together? No, I wouldn't. I, well, <laughs> I don't want to do any of it if I'm being honest. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah? I, okay. <laughs> I, I'm trying to think of the way to rate it because you're right. I think yeah. things really do go together. So yes, okay, fine. We'll put it all together. Yeah. Book, music, Kay. and lyrics. Out of 10 playbills, how many monkeys? I'm going to say six. Great. Oh, a solid six. Yeah. Because I think the lyrics really suck. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> like, yeah. Fair. And I think they suck because I saw it on my own television. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? If I would have been in the theater, yeah. I might have a very different feeling about it. But when you're watching this musical on your TV at home, you hear everything mm -hmm. and you're just like, no, bad, bad, bad. I found it tough as well to with even like they don't have an audience in the theater when they exactly, filmed it as well. And that's so hard. And so it's, it's really hard, hard to take my cues. It's definitely not the best way to experience the show. Just hearing Rafi describe the experience mm -hmm. of seeing the show in person makes me like it more because totally. I can imagine this that. This is my one yeah. person Absolutely. to get Diana back on Broadway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I really love the music. I think it's yeah. catchy and I will be singing various songs from the show probably for the yeah. next decade. And I feel like the book was fine. I just think maybe taking on, you know, 17 years of Diana's life is a bit lofty. Yeah, I would Absolutely. agree with that. That's why I land at a six, just nice. averaging all of that. What about what about you, Rafi? Out of 10 playbills, how many monkeys would you give the book, music, and lyrics? Okay, so I'm going to give the book 10. Great. Because I, I thought the dialogue was actually, like, quite good. Hell for, yeah. For the little of it that there was. I thought it... Good. I thought they did, with the dialogue, everything they needed to and more. Like, no word was wasted. Mm. So I felt really good about the book, even though Fantastic. it was short, but it was mighty. Yes. Um, the music, I love the music. I think the themes are great. I think it's fun to listen to, full of yeah. bops. So I'm going to give that like a solid nine out of, nine out of ten. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Bops. Now, the yeah. lyrics, I'm going to rate this in a few different ways. Okay, very good. Uh, so the lyrics as a general rule, I'm going to give a five out of ten. Okay. But the asterisk there is if you take out the entirety of this is how your people dance, that number goes up to an eight. Because I just, I'm stuck on Let's Get Funkadelic. I'm yes. stuck on it. I'm not moving past it. And that's a full three monkeys. Yeah, yeah. No one's asking you to move past that. <laughs> that honestly, one line is no, just. It's bad. And it's then bad. it moves up to an eight. But then if I think about it from the perspective of like sitting there, reading the lyrics, or mm -hmm. just having the lyrics, no other context, not really yeah. being in on the joke. It's hard to move past a few of them. Absolutely. Yep. Like, Absolutely. like the ones no that were already mentioned. It's, it's harder yeah. to, they make a lot more sense in context. And I feel mm -hmm. this way about a few shows. I really didn't like the score to Matilda until I saw mm -hmm. Matilda. Great. And then I was like, oh yeah, I'm, in, I'm into this now. Because it all fits. Yep. Yes. But if I'm looking just at the lyrics, just alone, 
I would say five out of 10 on average. You take away that song, I'll give it in like a seven and a half, eight out of 10. Very good. <laughs> I love it. And I'm going to say out of 10, uh, out of 10 playbills, mm-hmm. I'm going to go, I'm going to just do them all together. I'm going to say 6.5, mm-hmm. but I'm going to add an understudy slip specifically for this is how your people dance <gasps> to bring us up to a 7.5 because I liked it. <laughs> Um, I watched this show with producer Daph, and she can attest that was a moment when I looked at her and I said, oh, I'm on board with this show all of a sudden. Oh, I am no. in. Wow. There's something about it that just got me. It's so interesting. I don't know what. That was your moment. But it, it's the one song for me that I just like could be lifted out and we wouldn't, like, we wouldn't miss it. Right. Because that was the moment I was on board with the show fully for the first time. I was like, here we go. And yes, this yes. is why we hear like to hear from lots of people with different feelings about things because... Absolutely. Yes, this is important. Should we oh. move on to direction and choreo? Yes. Absolutely. Jeez, I'm having fun. Let's do it. Diana was directed by Christopher Ashley, uh, who we will fangirl about forever probably absolutely yep and if you're just coming into the podcast now which i don't understand why but if you are welcome back christopher ashley from margaritaville and come from away and a bazillion other shows if you skipped the first half an hour of this podcast yeah. we decided to start listening here <laughs> um the musical director was ted arthur ted arthur recently conducted mean girls and was the associate conductor on the prom as well that makes um, sense. and then yeah, this was absolutely. choreographed yeah. by the person I presume to be Christopher Ashley's best friend, Kelly Devine. I don't know. It seems like they hang out a lot, do a lot of shows yeah. together. Um, yeah. So yeah, Kelly. Well, so they don't hate each other. You no, know. certainly not. So Kelly is a really experienced choreographer who's done mm-hmm. Rock of Ages, I believe, Rocky, Come From Away, Margaritaville, this one, and I'm sure many more to come. I can't wait to hear, because both of y'all are excellent dancers and movers. I admire the way that um, both of you tell... Um, tell stories through movement. So I'm very eager to get your take on this choreo. I'm going to give my take on the direction first, which is just, I appreciate how fast it was. Yes. And really, and this was something that annoyed me when I saw the live capture again, after seeing the show twice, because I saw live capture, show twice, live capture. Mm -hmm. And on stage, this show moves at the pace you want it to move it moves right. through the scenes where you understand it but you don't feel like anything drags and you get from start to finish and you don't get bored because it's always mm-hmm. moving something's interesting is always happening and i yeah. think he did an incredible job of doing it in a way that's very simple the set's very simple mm-hmm. flies in and yep. out comes in and out the sides mm-hmm. but that's i think what christopher ashley does best is he distills it down to its core yeah and then allows you to fill in the blanks, but also make sure that your focus is always changing so you're not bored. Yes. It's the, it's the strategy that let him knock it out of the park with Come From Away and earned him a very well-deserved Tony for that mm-hmm. reaction. Absolutely. I, th- I agree with you, Rafi, and I actually can imagine what it would have been like in person from watching the, the Netflix capture because yeah. the the only problem is that when you're watching, when they made this for Netflix, they did close-ups and they yeah. did, you know, things that make you lose the overall, like, whirling, dervish, movement-y style of Christopher Ashley and Kelly Devine's work together. But I can still feel it. Like, I think it's still there. But I, because I love them, know what's missing and Absolutely. can imagine what it would be like in person and how amazing the transitions would be. 
the best part is opening of Act 2, where there's the him and her in the two beds. Oh, yeah. Diana's getting ready to go to an event with Charles. Yes. With James Hewitt. Him and and her is the song. Him and her and her and him. Yeah. Yeah. And Charles is with Camilla, and they're both getting ready for the event. And you have Barbara Cartland narrating for some reason. (laughs) And, <laughs> for whatever reason. But I mean, I'm into it. I approve the reason that she's there. But like, narratively, I don't know. I, like, I don't think she was actually super involved in their life. If right. my mug says Diana, a true musical story, I think true is used very loosely when it comes to that Barbara totally, Cartland's totally. involvement in the show. But they, they both, they're like, zoomed in on these like motorized beds yeah then they have their separate moments that ping back and forth they're zoomed out on their motorized beds and then they like magically appear in the center with all of the ensemble at a dance yeah and it's like a really or at a ball or whatever event they're going to and it's a really good example of how of something that's so theatrical and works so well on stage that like you feel that this is all happening immediately and simultaneously yes that I don't know if it's possible to translate that feeling to Netflix. Yeah, you're right. I think that's an excellent point. I think of recently I had a chance to um, to watch um, the Come From Away capture. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out. I'm in the first five seconds or ten seconds of that. I'm Are you actually? Like three seconds. It's true. I was. Oh, that's audience. so cool. I got to watch it again. <laughs> Love it. But just the first five seconds. Well, it's like it's like a shot of like the audience coming in and it's like yeah. me and my friends. I love it. I'm sorry, Raffi. We should have mentioned that at the top. I'm sorry. I'm this so is Raffi Rosenberg, star of Come From star Away, Come From Away. <laughs> on Apple TV. <laughs> I'm so, um, but I've also had a chance to see Come From Away live a couple times. Grand old time seeing it live, right? It's a really entertaining show. You laugh, you cry, you feel connected with the 500 other people in the audience. And so watching the capture, it's a very good capture. And... Man, it just doesn't quite translate. It's nice, but it's not not like it is live. Mm-hmm. Where's your head at, producer Def? So as some, some of you folks may already know, I am currently in school for digital film and media production. Yes. Basically, I'm trying to learn how to make a better digital theater. Yeah. And this this capture struck me as people who were like, new toys, new toys, mm-hmm. and didn't actually know how to use the medium of film to help with this storytelling. I feel sure. like about every capture. Yeah. yeah. But like, especially this one where it was yeah. like, okay, we don't need this many close-ups. You're, mm-hmm. you're the, the, the pacing mm-hmm. is getting all slowed down because we're stopping to move camera angles. Yes. And then in the moments where we actually want to see some of the theatricality, like you said, we're cutting it out. We're cutting away the transitions. We're just snapping to, and now we're in a ball. Forget those beds from two seconds ago. <laughs> Screw those <Yeah>. beds. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the reasons why adapting a live theatrical presentation doesn't always work and in this case that that's what was so distracting for me is people going new toys about the cameras they were working with i Very also fair. think to build off that we believe and accept a certain level of magic when we're watching something because yes. we know that like if you're going to do something i can't see you have to trick me but yep. we don't have that level of belief when it's on tv because we yeah. know you can do whatever you want with the camera exactly. so even if they had kept it we wouldn't have believed it because we're like, well, you can just put things like costume changes, mm-hmm. quick changes. Yeah. We're like, no, 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 you can, you can take two hours to do that and edit it back together, even if they did it. Mm-hmm. Well said, absolutely. I have a question for y'all. Yeah. So, one of my favorite things about 
the way that Christopher Ashley and Kelly Devine work together is how yeah. seamless they are as a team. Like yeah. you can't really tell when it's choreography or when it's staging and the lines get blurred. And I really like that. It makes the show feel really cohesive. How did you all feel about that with this production? I felt great personally. I, um, I think it's very obvious when you watch this or when you watch Margaritaville or Come From Away or anything that they're so on the same page and are strong collaborators. Um, mm-hmm. So the fact is when I look at um, Diana and I go, geez, there's not much choreo in this. I think that's a, I think that's a sign of someone without a great choreo eye <laughs> just experiencing yeah, what true. they've worked on together. You know what I mean? Yeah. If we were talking Come From Away, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily be able to like distinctly without a couple moments separate out direction from choreography i think they are one and the same mm-hmm. yeah. i think they work together on it i think there's movement i think it's beautiful but i think yeah. the whole show is movement yep yeah. yes um the reason i separated direction and choreography with this one is that there are so many dance numbers there are yep so yes. much mm-hmm. like Again, shout out number two to the hardest working ensemble I've mm. ever seen. Oh, right, yeah. Because they dance the whole show. I got I got a little bit teary just seeing an ensemble who is so clearly so happy to be working. You know what I mean? So happy and to be working. And leaving it on the stage. And honestly, I mean, I've never been an ensemble member in a large yeah. scale musical, but it seems like they're happy to be valued and useful and, and used in the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they're also absolutely exhausted, but they are integral to this story. I love doing ensemble work, like, so much. I like, I up, yep. love it. I love being busy. Like, yeah, if there's you're, you're extra... Always the first to, you're always the first to volunteer for <laughs> the extra job in the ensemble. there's extra stuff yeah. to be done, I'm like, you just make me do it. Like, tell yeah. me to do anything, I'll do anything. Like, I love, I love leaving a show feeling like I put in a day's work and I'm tired. Like, I absolutely. love that feeling. And. And they are not only used in every dance number or all of the movement parts. They're also like all of them are not all of them, but most of them have featured parts. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. True. Like James Hewitt is an ensemble member. Yep. Sarah Spencer is an ensemble member. Mm-hmm. Yep. The cellist in Diana's guard is an ensemble member. Uh, yes. Is a different actor on the stage versus the live capture. Ooh. Equally incredible, but they bring very different takes to the role. Very interesting. Which we can get to in the performances section. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but just want to call that out. Uh, it's, I appreciated how hard they worked. I appreciated yeah. how valued they were and how good they all were at every uh-huh. character they played. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the, cor- the choreo itself, it's very, it's this very angular kind of thing, right? It's yes. very, which is kind of like, this is a rock pop score and that kind of seems to be yeah. the way that a lot of choreographers are moved by that music, which is yes. great. Yes. It's also very 1996. Yeah, it absolutely is it is. Yes. Very, it it's, really it's is. very 90s. Yeah. The whole show is a very 90s vibe. I think probably for obvious reasons. And there's especially like you, like you mentioned, there's like the trench coats and there's a lot of when they're doing, when they're the paparazzi doing trench coatography. It's like they're freaking Batman. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like they got capes that they're flipping <laughs> around. Yeah. The, honestly, I mean, I get the flashing metaphor. That was the only piece of the choreography that ever bothered me. I, right. <laughs> the the yeah. are the really flashing. silly. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> that was the only part that I was like, all right, come on. <laughs> but it, th- there's one part of each of these, like Funkadelic, Sorry, Paul. Yeah. And then just <laughs> constant trench coat opening. I love yeah. the trench coatography. 
It's just yeah. that one piece of it. I was like, come on, guys. I would, I would lose, maybe this will tie into design, but I would lose the trench coats altogether. I think that's dumb. And that's, why are the paparazzis 1940s newspapermen? You know? <laughs> 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 that's a great point. <laughs> to uh, me, it felt like a practical point. Because yeah. they could all be the same. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 100%. They didn't really, like, they were all wearing distinct costumes underneath. I would also say um, Direction and Choreo, this is Direction and Choreo slash design, but yes. there was no reason for the ensemble to change their wigs as often as they did. Agreed. Sure. I thought there was too much choreography. Sure. And I think maybe this ties into the too much music thing. Yeah. I don't think it's Kelly Devine's fault that there was so much choreography. I think it's that there was too much music that needed to be filled and fleshed out by ensemble members. And therefore, Kelly Devine was like, okay, I guess we'll do the reporter number. Or I guess we'll do this, like, yeah. fight number. Like, I, I don't know. I felt no, I as though there was maybe too much of it. But I again, I don't feel like it was the creative team's fault i think it was the the writers do you think there's power in like with the exception of this is how your people dance where it's a very obvious that it should be um a choreographed number and Mm -hmm. it becomes one of the greatest numbers in modern musical theater absolutely um (laughs) (laughs) should it have been like more of a les mis style we have a lot of ensemble Mm -hmm. work but they're just acting naturalistic rather than actual choreographed movements raffi's shaking her head you don't think so yeah i don't think so very like, interesting. I get you have to go all in, you know, if you're going to yeah. go, if you're going to do it, you got to go all in. I don't think stylistic, well, sometimes stylistically it was weird. Yeah. But again, like if I think about if I was watching this in person, how would it feel different from me watching it in my living room? Like maybe the energy of some of those numbers wouldn't look as silly. Like the style of those numbers wouldn't look as, like there was some weird like hip-hop yeah stuff that i was like "Eh, i don't know but maybe again if i was there in person maybe i'd be like whoa it's so dynamic to watch them all move in that way from my seat instead of from this close-up well what what, what was it like uh, live there raffi so i'm gonna i'm gonna say that i both i agree with both of you to some extent Mm -hmm. paul's favorite number of all time this is how your people dance no my favorite just one of the most important pieces of choreography of the last 20 years (laughs) (laughs) but there are some songs that were, for me at least, a little too long and had too much dance break in them Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that had to be filled. And it was clear that this was being filled. And they were having a good time. It was just we took a step away from the story to watch them dance. And then we came back into the story. Um, Yes. It's just it wasn't really advancing anything for me other than it was fun to watch Mm -hmm. uh, and give the leads an opportunity to dance, which I already said I don't necessarily agree with. Unless they've actually got dance, right? Yeah. Unless they're dancer dancers. Yes. Mm-hmm. there's no reason for it um, yeah. or unless they like are dying to do it then you can give them a little bit but yep. there's mm-hmm. a reason to put them in like a full ensemble dance break for no reason yeah, yeah. and I felt that way of like the snap click motif mm. of the paparazzi mm-hmm. I yeah. know it's such an important part of her story but I think each of those moments could have been a lot shorter and more dispersed Absolutely. Yes. instead of these giant paparazzi numbers. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think they were fun to watch and they're really well executed mm-hmm. and it's very chaotic and you feel mm-hmm. it. But it doesn't necessarily, I think it would feel, I think it would accomplish the same thing if it was just constantly, there was this little snap click moment because it would feel mm-hmm. more 
it would feel a little bit more invasive and annoying and frustrating mm-hmm. and I agree. Like, all all knowing. The one thing I will say is when she does, and the words came pouring out. I don't know what the song is called. I don't know if that's. The I song think that's called. what it's yeah. called, actually, about the With book. The book. Yeah. Yeah. I felt the exact opposite that 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 uh, conversation into a giant dance number really works for me in a really fun mm. musical theatery kind of way. Yeah. yeah. So I I think the snap click should, could have been way shorter, not just really long songs but pieces of songs yeah. mm-hmm. we didn't need those giant numbers but i felt there were some points where it really landed and really worked for me is it worth discussing and rating the direction and choreo as one or should we separate it i could be convinced to put them together i could do it. let's put them together then so jillian willems raffi rosenberg two of the most intelligent artists i know out of 10 playbills, how many monkeys would you give the direction and choreo? Raph, you go first. So I would give the direction a 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. I mean, I really, really loved what he did with this show. I love yeah. it. Sh- but this is like a, per- this is very personal. Great. Mm-hmm. I really like a show that moves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really, really like a show that just sails through and that pulls my focus and that lets me use my imagination. I feel the same way about Sam Mendes. I feel very much the same way about Come From Away. Like that, mm-hmm. that's like my, it's what I love most on stage. So I'll give that a 10 out of 10. Yep. The choreography, I'm going to give like a six and a half on average, mm-hmm. but with like an, an understudy slip of everything we just said, which I don't think it was Kelly Devine's fault. Yes. I think yep. she yep. had so much music and so many dance breaks to work with and so many things that were the same to bring the same motifs. So for all of the reasons we discussed, yeah. that would be the six and a half out of 10. I would think I would give like, if they did make those changes closer to like a seven and a half, eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I land firmly at an, an eight for yeah. both together for exactly the reasons you described. Yeah. I have, I have no trouble getting to an eight. That's uh that makes a lot of sense. And I bet I would be higher if I had a chance to sit down and see it in person. Yep. If Christopher Ashley's other work is any indication. Come From Away Live, I'm like nine and a half out of ten. Yes, yes, yes. Yep. Come From Away Filmed, I'm like oh, seven. It's mm-hmm. nice. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I would agree with that. All right. Is it time for design? Let's, let's talk about some design, y'all. Oh, finally. Okay, <laughs> here here are our people who contributed and yep. then we'll and then the gates are floodgates are open and we just yell at all at the same time what we thought. Okay. Scenic designed by David Zinn, who is doing the new funny girl design. Yeah. Which I'm really excited about that. And also did the design for Amelie, which was the first show we talked about. Absolutely. So that's and sweet. also on his Internet Broadway database profile has just an incredible mustache and beard that makes me very jealous. I very recently gave up on growing a handlebar mustache because it was getting silly. And it makes me very it makes me wish that I had held on a bit longer. Anyways. Well, that is your this is this is your motivation and your permission. Well, I appreciate that. Thank it's, you very much. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this is your sign. This. <laughs> Costume design by William Ivy Long. Great. Welcome back, William Ivy Long from Disaster. But William Ivy Long is very good at what he does and has been doing it for a bazillion years. So good. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lighting design by Natasha Cates, who did Frozen and The Prom and is doing the MJ musical that's coming up. 
Uh, sound designed by Gareth Owen, who did Come From Away and yep. is also doing MJ. Yep. Uh, and then hair designed by R.I.P. Paul Huntley. Who just passed away a couple months ago, right? Just passed away in yep. July. Yep. Um, but who was one of the busiest wig masters, I guess you could call him, because truly, like, a genius yeah. um, of all time on Broadway. So Diana was his last show, and that's really beautiful and special. Uh, and then makeup design by Angelina Avalon, who did Cinderella and did Big Fish, which we talked about. So yay. And then, of course, I will always say associates and assistants galore yeah. on the design and the creative side. So please go to ibdb.com because they have a comprehensive list of everyone who contributed. And it's important to look at those names as well. And especially in this, can you imagine the layers of masks and protective gear all these designers were trying to do their job in? You know what I mean? Just crazy, freaking rock stars. Just incredible stuff. Yes, producer Daphne. Uh, I'd like to recommend that everyone, if you're watching the capture on Netflix, please stay to the ending credits because they have a bunch mm -hmm. of behind the scenes photos of how they did the production, everyone in masks. And further to our uh, earlier point, really happy looking ensemble members like just celebrating performing in a theater yeah. even if it's Ugh. even if it's just for plants or dogs or stuffed animals yeah. in the audience it's just it's really cute and i highly encourage everyone to stick around to the end credits like a marvel movie i remember <laughs> jill and raffi and i had an opportunity to collaborate on a little fundraiser recently which is how we ended up uh, talking and deciding to do this episode together and just mm -hmm. it wasn't it wasn't a big old thing it was like a it took about probably about a week's worth of work just the feeling of being back at work was just the coolest thing in the world. And putting it up for live people, for a live audience, just, I can relate very heartily to the um, the feeling of, we're back, we're, we've got like friggin' three masks on, but we're back in. What a cool <laughs> feeling. Yeah. Um, that said, I'd like to be the first to say about this design, I wish there was a few more costumes. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I was disappointed. We didn't change enough. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay, we should start with costumes, though. I think we have to. Like, they're incredible, right? Unbelievable. They're outstanding. Like, I don't know much about costumes, but like, every, when I think of Diana, I think of like, these. she has these iconic outfits. Yes. And you see them all, sometimes within like a 10 second span. Mm -hmm. It's really great. Rafi, can I ask you a question? Of course. Okay, so there's two parts that are amazing to me from a costuming perspective. The first is the stepping into the wedding dress. Yeah. Is it moving in person? Uh, so it was actually less moving in person because it's very obvious how she does it. Oh, okay. Got it. Okay. Interesting. So they, do, 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 we, do we want to describe the We moves? can describe yeah. it. So there, someone comes on in a wedding dress as Diana and Diana is clearly singing and everyone on the stage is frozen and she's singing, I will. And then there's a moment where she steps around, steps behind and is in the wedding dress. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you can see if you're not directly in front of her, you can see someone dressed in all black run away, Got it. who takes one of the actors away, who was in the Diana outfit. Yeah. And then it's very clear she steps into a costume that's like a full. Yes. It's like a, you know, those uh, face cutout. Oh, yeah. It's like a shell. Yeah, kind those of thing. face cutouts yeah. where you yeah. take pictures and like, oh, now I'm on a beach. It's that, yeah. but a costume. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That's, so they were able to use movie magic to make it look... Yeah, got it. Um, and then a little cleaner. Because it yeah. just doesn't sit perfectly on her head. Like, it's very clear. And you can also see as right. they exit the stage, 
you can see that there's a giant hole in the back of the dress. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. got it. Yeah. Very interesting. Because <laughs> I love that. It's I mean, still even great, as a, but it's not. Yeah, as a theatrical mm. choice, yeah. I think it's mm-hmm. really cool. It is really cool. But there is another magic quick change at the end of Act One, right? There's a really quick one. Yes. And it's Ugh, that, that must have dress. been really cool live as well, right? Like yes. red dress to white dress, yes. right? This is very, the one that we're talking cool. about. Very cool. That whole, yeah, yeah, totally, exactly. That whole yeah. sequence where she's doing, where she's like, when her my designers are boring and British, like when she starts the first Pretty Pretty Girl and they do a basically fashion show. Yes. Yep. That whole thing is magic. That entire totally. number is That's incredible. Yeah. There yeah. are all, there are also ensemble members walking across the stage where yes. there's like seven Dianas, which is pretty clear. But those quick changes, unbelievable. There's like, she's wearing multiple costumes at a time or yeah. multiple right. pieces transition into yeah. different costumes. So they, it's like the world's most high-tech tearaway pants. Yes, yeah. totally, which I love. It's really well-designed and well-choreographed. Um, oh, props yes. to the designers and stage managers who all worked yes. their asses off to make and that so clean. And all of the clean. dressers oh, who yes, are exactly. changing yeah. costumes and wigs. And it's for amazing. every single person on that show, every five seconds. Yeah. yeah. Every time someone leaves the stage, they're changing a costume or a hairpiece or shoes. Some of the best wow. magic you can do in live theater is a quick change. Mm-hmm. Is like a 10-second or a 15-second quick change. And there's so many in this, and they do them so well. They oh. do them so well. I yeah. am obsessed. Absolutely. I will say the sound was unbelievable in the theater. Ooh. I believe it. Yeah, I have really, no trouble really, believing really that. Really, really well executed, really well mixed. That's good. Really well done. This is one of the first times it's very hard to discuss a live sound design. It's one of the things you really can't discuss um, if you haven't seen it live. So this is probably the first time we can actually, we have enough feedback to be able to say that it was a real nice sound design. But can you? Because it was pre-recorded. We, we can't say, Rafi can say. Yeah, yeah, Rafi can yeah, say, totally. yes. Yeah. yeah. My only commentary is it was incredibly well done. And yeah. if very you notice, that's well, how you know it well actually mixed. was really incredible. Because it's, you in yeah. my mind, when you notice good sound, like you, you notice yeah. it when it's good and you notice it when it's bad, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. This, yeah. the sound in the theater was incredible. Oh, I love that. I love the set as Me well. Me too. Where I'm Me talking too. about other things, I love that. I'm a glass, mirrors, like lots of space when you need it. Yeah. Um, but it never felt sparse. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a smart set design, and I think it's real nice. They had Buckingham Palace in the background fly in on the top section, so you can oh, only cool. see it if you're in certain seats oh, yeah. anytime the Queen's on stage, which I really loved. Very subtle, mm-hmm. very That's well very done. interesting, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, the floor was like a beautiful, very shiny. hardwood, shiny-looking almost herringbone laid pattern and it was like very striking very shiny yeah i like that the second time i saw it i was front row and it was very shiny yeah oh very cool yeah no i really like that i also felt like the sets had an intimate quality to them even though it was on this like sort of expansive stage space there was really yeah it was just really lovely they made them feel really homey when they were supposed to. Yes. Mm-hmm. They felt comfy. Yeah. And in general, it's that thing that um, Christopher Ashley and his team, including these designers, do where like, you just need a small signifier to take us to a new place where like yep. we're at a cocktail party and it's just a little, like a row of chairs gets rolled in. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden we're in a total new location. We're at a cocktail party instead of Buckingham Palace now. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't have honestly much else to say because I was like very much in favor of aesthetically everything that was going on 
nice lighting design. Lighting design is working yes, for all this as well. Not, well not a flashy done. lighting design. Very except clean. for the, the camera flashes is very flashy, yeah. obviously. Well, okay. we would want that. <laughs> but but they, they don't overuse it, which is right. yeah. which they really could have because they have this entire back wall of lights. Yep. And they sure. only use it when it's appropriate, which Absolutely. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, because there's a whole the thing at the end. It's a really nice design um, of so like well Diane is looking into what is presumably the tunnel where the car is going to yeah. go into and she's going to mm-hmm. die. And she's just standing there looking into it. And there's all these flashes in this what seems like a tunnel. Mm-hmm. And it just it rewards people who know a little bit of history. And this is very common history. So it's like a lot of everyone's aware of this, but they don't say it specifically. So you just get these yes. chills of like, Ugh. yep, really, really well executed. Yeah. So here's what I think we should do for this. I think on the count of three, we should all shout the number of monkeys that we're giving this design. Okay. Good idea. Yeah. One, two, three, ten. Eight point five. Oh no. Oh Paul. (laughs) Oh no. I've given a lot of tests. That would have been so good. good (laughs) Paul, how is anyone gonna guess a point five? (laughs) I really thought we had something going. Give me give me a give me another shot. Give me another shot. Well, no. I think people should. <laughs> you think people should people know that Paul gave it an eight point five? People need 8. to 5 know. Eight point five is a good rating. I know. I it's stand a good by rating. that. Okay, well then we don't have to do it again. Okay. <laughs> so, folks listening at home, Raph and I both said ten for the design elements, yeah. and Paul said eight point five. So obviously, yeah. Raffy and I don't need to defend our decision in any way. But Paul, now we need to know why you said eight point five. I don't want to say. No, you can say it. Say it. I like say what I like it. when things have like a revolve or some something like that. And it oh, okay. A revolve. Right. I don't know. Yeah. That's fine. You can say. Don't be ashamed <laughs> of your. Paul's a big of fan of uh, roundabouts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm a... <laughs> Paul's, Paul's missing the uh, the circular motion of it all. This is, well, this is exactly yeah. it. Yeah, I like. <laughs> okay. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. It's a, you have a right to It's feel a fantastic design. It's a beautiful design. There is something that we've been trying not to gush over, yeah. and it's time to talk about yeah. it, and it's these performances. Oh, let's do let's it. Hell yeah. Let's do it. Well, let's let's start with, the, we got a titular character here. Yes. And it's uh, Gina Duvall. Yes. Who plays Diana. Yep. And is great. Is freaking incredible. Is really good. Yes. Right? Like, geez. Shh. She holds that audience in the palm of yeah. her hand and she does not let mm-hmm. you go. Yeah. From the moment Underestimated starts, she is, get, she has so much charisma mm-hmm. as a performer. Yeah. And so much presence and so much nuance. Yep. That she yeah. just, from the first moment, you're on her side and you want her to win. Yep. Absolutely. And her voice is incredible. Her performance is incredible. And she has a presence and a charisma that I haven't seen in a lead in a long time. Well said. If ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really cool to hear because I had the same impression of, of her even in this capture. And I think that's really saying something because even the most seasoned Broadway performers wouldn't have, it, their work may not have translated in the way that hers did. And I really think she does it an 
a master. I love job. to see it because for the past ten years now or so, just looking at her credits, she's been a real workhorse. Like going in as a replacement mm-hmm. on American Idiot, going out as um, like a replacement Glinda on a Wicked tour, mm-hmm. in as the like the um, replacement Lauren in Kinky Boots, and presumably just doing fantastic work in all of those. I love seeing a performer at the start of their like superstar career. Totally. When it's so obvious that they're going to have an incredible yeah. career from here, you know? Yeah. She also really strategically breaks the fourth wall, mm. which works so well sure. for this show. Like she very strategically makes eye contact when she needs to during some songs, during some yeah. moments. And she knows right. when those moments are. And also credit to Chris Ashley that he allowed that and knew that the show needed that. 100%. Maybe yeah. I, I should have mentioned this um, in the music section, but it just occurred to me now. I'm not always convinced that um, this music is written in a friendly way for the performers. Mm. No, and not at all. I agree. All very them, high, very loud. Yeah, all, all of the them time. work really hard and find really smart ways of realizing performances there. I wanted to oh, shout out yes. especially Gareth Keegan, whose ensemble is making his Broadway debut as uh, James Hewitt. And they just put him in an absurd tessitura for his whole track. He's just, every time he opens his mouth, is like wailing at the very top of his range. And it sounds great. He really makes smart choices. And it's uh, it's beautiful. Really, Mm -hmm. everyone has to do this. And his, he especially has to figure it out and figures it out admirably. Yeah. And he... Just nails that entrance. Yeah. <laughs> just shirtless on a horse. Not a horse, but a saddle. Yeah, yeah. Shirtless on a saddle, just singing as as high. Singing like an A or G. Just, like, yeah. so just high. Just top of the range, but belted. I just mean. A, what an entrance. Just rising from the right? floor with your six pack on <laughs> a saddle. His Broadway debut. Here I yes. go. No shirt. <laughs> top of my range. Hello, Broadway. <laughs> I love that. What an entrance. Right? What a moment. Um, I would like to call attention to Judy Kay, who finally got to play herself in a show, The Queen. <laughs> yes. Yeah. She's hey, so Judy. good. So glad she finally got to be the royal that she deserves to be. She just really finds... Because the Queen is always played as a very complicated woman, and she is yeah. a complicated woman, and she makes comments like... At the end of the show, when Diana wants to leave Charles, like, I miss the old days when she's talking about beheading women for disobeying their cheating husbands. (laughs) And she says, I miss the old days. But it's clearly a joke. And she clearly has been Diana before, but knows that there's no way for her to leave. Yes. She is a victim of her circumstance and pushes back against it. But at the end of the day, relates as like a fellow human and does that Mm -hmm. in a way that you like. You love her, you hate her, but you understand her. Right. I also want to shout out um, Aaron Davey as yes! Camilla, who in this show, Camilla is just treated as with no redeeming qualities whatsoever. Is a, um, I know, none. Evil human being, um, which is maybe something I take issue with a little bit, to be honest. I, I, I um, do too, personally. Surely, surely we could have found a little more nuance because, you know, it's a shitty situation and infidelity is no good, very bad, don't do it. But <laughs> surely there's, no one is a monster. That said, Erin Davey is a fantastic performer. You look at her credits and she's like young Edie in the uh, first act of the original Grey Gardens. Gardens. We can welcome her back to this show because she was um, one of the Hiltons in um, the Sideshow revival. 
which oh, we talked about a little right. bit on our sideshow episode, where that's she's incredible. Right. She has a stupid voice and a stupid contemporary voice, and makes a choice to do something mixier and a mm-hmm. little softer, just so that she's a little different from Gina Duvall. Totally, I agree. Which is very smart, and to be honest, I think it's a bit of a a thankless role in a mm-hmm. in a musical. People are going to leave going, geez, the woman who played Diana was great. And Camilla was just a, what a despicable person. No total one's going to say what. Exactly, yeah. a total B. And I think that deserves a special shout out as well for really cool work. Agreed. Yeah. 100% agreed. And then, of course, for the third time, we have to say this ensemble, wow, wow, wow. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. The ense- every single person in that ensemble. Absolutely. A special shout out, I forget what his name is, but the person who plays the writer who writes Diana's expose, unbelievable. Love his voice. But the live capture in the Broadway version of Diana's aide, Diana's personal guard, played Mm -hmm. it so differently, but so well. The, Mm. The live capture version was a little bit more... I'm on the royal side, but I secretly like you. Right. And the Broadway version, he played it a little bit more of Diana and I are allies and I'm here for you in whatever way I'm allowed to be. Got it. The one point where that came out the most is they clean up the fuck you dress song in Netflix. Ah. They also clean up all of the language. There's a lot more swearing in the Broadway Oh, that's so interesting. Because I thought there was a lot of swearing. They change fucking to bloody in most of them. Sure. Yep, that makes sense. I yeah. actually have a question while we're on this. Yeah. Is the the dress song? It's fuck you dress. Is it actually? It's, it's that's a so fuck much you dress better. and they go fuckity, 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 fuck you dress. Which See, that's better, better than what they and the, do. And then the joke where the queen won't say it lands way better. Right. Totally. Absolutely. I know what Priest for Daft's going to say. Go ahead. Paul and I were also talking about this because I was like, that's really weird. Yeah. And so... Upon further research, we found out that that was the tabloid headline was feck you uh, because they didn't want to print fuck in like the British press. So the tabloid said it was a feck you dress. Right. Yeah. Just the same with the live capture. And likewise, they didn't want to get an R rating on a Netflix Broadway musical original. Yeah. There's also a big moment in Charles's song, Diana, where he says there's more to life than in the live capture, the bloody front page. In the show, the fucking front page, mm. yeah. and it just feels hits like it different. More. I believe yeah. it hits different. Yeah. yeah, and then in the song, the Thrill in Manila song, they say this party is such a bloody bore in the live capture, and it's a fucking bore in the right. show. Right, and again, it just it's harsher. It hits yeah. different. But the moment in the fuck you dress song where the queen won't say it is a lot funnier when everyone around her is just. Absolutely unloading yes. on F-bombs. I love that. And it's really beautiful. But her aid is really great on both. Um, I also really thought Charles did an incredible job. Yeah. What's his name? Because I really Ro... hate Hartramp. And he, you really hate him at the end. Like, I, like I a really deep hate. hate it. Like a deep-seated, I would punch that guy in the face if I saw him. Like his character. <laughs> And it's really hard to make an audience hate you that much and still yes. make me really believe you believe what you're saying. Right. Absolutely. There's no That's like the tongue in cheek. There's no like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I'm actually a good guy. Mm-hmm. In it. He's an incredible voice. He believes everything he's saying to a point where I hate him more. And I really got to shout that out. I love that. 
It's hard to be the villain. I, I agree completely. Before we get to ratings, the last person I wanted to shout out was, we mentioned before, um, a cast replacement where Bruce Dow was in the film and was replaced by Anthony Murphy. Bruce Dow is a Canadian legend. Yay! Um, a lot of work at the Stratford Festival. Um, Hi, Bruce. The Jesus Christ Superstar cast that moved from um, Stratford to uh, Broadway. I don't know him personally. He seems like a nice guy. He does a very nice job. And from what I understand, is also a very different take than what ended up on stage. A very different take, but equally as good. Just totally different. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Good job, Bruce. Let's, uh, let's put a rating on these performances, y'all. Okay, we're going to try this again. Yeah. We're going to, on the count of three, everyone's going to shout their rating. Are we ready? Ready. Yeah. One, two, three. Ten! Ten! Absolutely ten. We did it. Oh, and there's a good sound cue that's going to go there. We have a sound cue for when we all agree. <laughs> we have a few more things to talk about. But actually, the thing we normally talk about next hasn't happened yet. So here's what we're going to say. We're going to do a very quick Tony Awards section. Yeah. So that we can maybe look back on this and be like, we were right. Sure. Are, are Gina gonna... Duvall would get nominated for best. I don't know if enough nominators had time to see it. Oh. Sure. As like a, as like a logistical... Sure. But I believe that they're only allowed to count performances post-opening officially. Yeah. Yes, correct. And it was not open for very long. And they all have to have seen it to be able... You have to have seen it to be able to vote for it. Right. I wonder if they'll try to... Maybe they'll try to make some kind of exception or something for a weird year. You know what I mean? They might. And I really, truly hope they do. I hope so, too. Because Gina Duvall deserves a Tony nom. Yeah. She really, truly does. The design deserves uh, a Tony nom. The design teams... Yeah. 100%. Every single member of that design team deserves a Tony nom. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm going to say Roe also potentially deserves a Tony yeah. nom. Ooh, hot take. Yeah, that's that's going to be my hot take. Roe deserves a Tony nom. I, think I de- love it. Depending on how the chips fall, it's not even out of the question for it to like play for some of the big five, right? Yeah. Well, obviously it's no, playing right. for one of the big five, right? But like no, it could right. take a direction or a choreo and it could even yeah. squeak into a best musical nom depending on how they want to play it. Yeah. No, I don't think right. it could take a best musical win, but it could take a nom. Yeah. It could. Yeah. It really right? could because it is it is an original musical, not a revival. Yeah, absolutely. And there's only a few this year, I think. Who knows? All we can hope for is I hope that everything is well enough in the world for a live Tony telecast. Yeah. And I hope that this cast has the opportunity to reprise yeah. This Is How Your People Dance. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, At the no. Tony Awards. <laughs> I would like to put in, in, I would like to manifest that they do, there's so many numbers I want them to do, but I believe the like, I don't know what it's called, but like the post book number. Oh, yes, yes. Or pretty, the first pretty, pretty girl with all the costume changes. Those are my two votes if they're doing the Tonys. I think they'll do one of those medley things where um, Mm. Gina Duvall sings like, underestimated, like a tiny bit of underestimated. And then they go into that one where she's like screlting. I can't remember which yeah. one it is. And this then is all an them. ensemble all thing. I feel this like is how your people dance. Medley. No! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> okay, we have two more questions before we wrap this up. The first question we're going to ask is, should Diana be a musical? I'll go first. <gasps> okay. Because I came in with a no, and I've kind of turned around. I'm into it. Rafi's made some excellent points. Like, I, I came into this being like, well, that was 
kind of fun, but kind of dumb. I love how everyone, how hard everyone was working, and there's a lot of potential there. But honestly, why does Diana's story need to be a musical? Right. And I've kind of turned around. I think especially in this time, stories about people who are fighting against the elite, fighting against the upper class, and using any kind of power influence they have for good are things worth celebrating. These are stories that need to be told right now for all of us who are trying to do our best to do something good in the world, you know? Rafi, I think I know where your head is at, but... Uh, I'm a strong yes. Yeah. Uh, a strong yes. Yeah. And I will say, as a, as a subsequent point that I have already made, but just to reiterate, Diana's story is told for her because she died so young and she died yeah. so publicly mm-hmm. and she lived so publicly. And I really appreciate that this story told it in a way that celebrates her power and her voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Versus the tragedy... Because we love telling stories about tragedy. Mm-hmm. We love yeah. the tearjerker, big, meaty, very sad role. And I really like that this allowed us to have fun and remember her in a, in a place of joy. Mm. This, was, this was her life. And this was, these are the beautiful things she did rather than yeah. she was a princess who um, died tragically. Because none of us actually, like, nobody's talked about who she truly was or these private conversations. Everything... There are broad truths. All of the big plot points are true because they happen publicly. But we don't know what went on behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And I choose to believe she was incredibly powerful and resilient and had a lot of fun and joy in her life. Mm -hmm. That's what all the accounts are, right? That's how her sons talk about her. That's how people who are close to her talk about her. She had a lot of fun. And this musical is a lot of fun. What about you, Jill? Disagree. Prove us wrong. Well, <laughs> one call over, I will yeah. win you over. Let's talk about Diana for another three days until so, you're fine. Fine, Raffi. It's a musical and it should So be. here, here's what I believe. I think a Diana musical can exist in the world. Yeah. I think there is space for it. And especially as Raffi, you were describing like this narrative. Only thing that I think I may be like more sensitive to is the fact that like, most of the people that this is about, like, they're real living humans who... That's true. Yep. Like, don't seem to be super thrilled that it's happening. So a part of me is like, at what point do we kind of say, like, well, it existed and it, you know, like, there it yep. was and now let's move on? Or, you know, do we say, well, who is it really hurting? And then we continue to, like, do the show. So. Sure. It's more mm-hmm. of a question than anything because I don't see necessarily anything like wrong with this play existing. I think it's like fun, like you said, Raph, and that like people go in and it's not asking anything of you. You are there simply to receive story and experience. I just, it it's a different question because this these are real people is the only thing I bring yeah. up. But and I do think there's room point. for it. Like her kids are alive. That's their dad on stage. Yeah. They're just- being yeah. played very well, but as an absolute, like, almost cartoon villain. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So if there's people, you know, there's as many Raffi Rosenbergs watching it who can examine it in a really, like, healthy and intelligent way, there's another group of people that maybe aren't receiving it in the sort of campy way that we are, you know? Very fair. Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. so I think that's my only um, question mark surrounding it, but I definitely think there's space for it well in that case we have we have all the receipts we've seen we've <laughs> talked about it um unless we want to go again from the top 
No, we're good to go. <laughs> so let's. <laughs> I'm like Rafi. Do you do you want to go? Want to do one one more pass through each category? <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm never gonna stop talking about Diana. Good. <laughs> this is never gonna happen. Your legacy. Is this show a flop? Is it a secret bop? Or was it so bad we need to make it stop? I'm gonna say a not so secret bop. Not so secret ooh. bop. Absolutely. What about you, Jill? Uh, I would say ooh. No, you know what? I actually could get behind that it's a bit of a bop. Yeah. It's sort of between the flop and the bop thing because mm. I don't necessarily believe it needs to, like, we need to make it stop. Yeah. We're not there. But this production did obviously flop because we saw it sort of close in real time. Yeah. But there's a lot to love. There's a lot of fun energy about it. So, yeah. I think I'm in the exact same position as you, Jill. I'm just edging over into secret bop. I don't know if I can get to not so secret bop, although I respect right. it. But I think <laughs> I can you. I can settle on secret bop just out of flop. Absolutely. And I, I you know what? I'd be lying if I said that I thought I was going to say that before we started recording. Absolutely. Yep. But I think after watching it a second time... I really found a lot to love. And Raffi Rosenberg's love for this show turned me around. Oh. It's just have the, the sheer amount of unabashed joy <laughs> to be found. That's what, that's how shows are supposed to make you feel. You know what right? I mean? It's, we can, all we want, we can, we can examine things from an academic point of view and um, take it, uh, take it apart. And I think there's a lot of value in that. But at the end of the day, we're creating things for people to enjoy, to make people feel things. Mm-hmm. This show obviously did that for a large segment of people, Rafi being one of them. So it did it, it did what it's supposed to do. Freaking win. Yeah, I've never seen totally. audiences have more fun. Wow. That's really powerful. Even in Mamma Mia. Even in Mamma Mia. Because <laughs> in Mamma Mia, everyone knows ABBA. Everyone likes ABBA. Mm -hmm. But this really, everyone's having a good time in that theater. And it was a very, it was a feeling of like being in a community, which I really appreciated. Rafi Rosenberg, this has been incredible. Thank you for oh, taking the so time fun. to sit down with us to talk this out. Rafi, thank you so much for your um, your joy and your uh, detail that you bring not only to this, but to our lives. You are a lovely Absolutely. person to collaborate with in a lot of um, ways. And so it's been like so yeah. lovely to have you on this podcast um, and to see your face through Zoom because we can't be in the same country and it's really yeah. nice to see you country. sometimes. It is really nice to see you. Thank yeah. you for having me on this podcast. Absolutely. I, not only do I love the show Diana and it brings me a lot of joy, so does both working with and just hanging out with you too. Absolutely. So this is a nice little bonus for me. Thank you everyone. Please stay safe, be kind to yourselves, uh, do what you need to do to be okay during this time. And of course, get vaccinated if you're not already and be sure to listen to Diana a lot because that's the path out of this. That is the path out of it, especially if you get COVID. <laughs> get especially vaccinated. if you get COVID. Yeah. Watch Diana. Yeah. Stay well, y'all. Bye now. Hi, everyone. This is producer Daphne speaking. Thank you all so much for listening to Monkeys and Playbills, the show where we take a look at Broadway musicals that had 100 performances or fewer before closing. To learn more about the show, you can follow us on Instagram at monkeysandplaybillspod, on Twitter at monkeyplaybills, or email us at monkeysandplaybillspod at gmail.com. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash monkeysandplaybills. Super exciting! We now have merch available! 
Visit spring.com and search Monkeys and Playbills to find mugs, t-shirts, hoodies, and more designs coming soon. Monkeys and Playbills is proud to be a Village Conservatory for Music Theater podcast. Original music for the show is provided by Paul DeGers, and the show is produced and edited by Daphne Finlayson. Thank you all so much for listening, and join us next week where we take on Home Sweet Homer, 70 Girls 70, and Rockabye Hamlet.